Uh, Our scripture reading today is Luke 24, verses 25 through 32. Our scripture reader is John Borgen. Come on up, John. In honor of God's word, uh, please stand. Listen as I read. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them to all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So as we launch this series, uh, I I thought it would be good to start off by talking about the book that we use. Um, The the, the book that revealed the truths that Bob was just referencing, that that, that totally uh, changed his life and reoriented his hopes. Uh, I thought it'd be good for us to just take a little bit of time this morning. You know, the, the, the Bible uh, continues to be like the, the, the bestseller in the world. More Bibles have been sold than any other book. Um, and a uh, bunch of us in this room probably have uh, more than one hard copy. Uh, we all might have digital copies on our phone. And if you have that, then, uh, man, you have just dozens and dozens of versions and options uh, to, 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 to have the bi- access to the Bible and yet, um, Bible reading, uh, at least the polling all shows, that Bible reading is in decline. Uh, Bible, Bible awareness or um, uh, Bible literacy uh, is, is, is in decline. Uh, less and less people are opening the books up. They have them, but less and less people are reading them. And the people who do try to read them, it often seems quite, uh, quite confusing. What, what do these chapters mean? What do these verses mean? Why is everything in chapter and, and verse? Uh, many of us don't know how the individual stories fit into the overall story, um, or even that there is an overall story. And so the goal of this series, as I just mentioned uh, earlier, is, is to invite you on a journey. It's an, invite you on a journey uh, to, to see this, this grand story that God has written and uh, what, what he's doing in the world, and then to, 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 to see that you're doing it in a cloud of witnesses. That's a phrase the Bible uses. It's the, there's a cloud of witnesses. And that means you're not alone. It means as you're, as you're trying to follow Jesus, you're not, you don't have to do it by yourself. God's whole design is that you don't have to do it by yourself. And so by those who are gracious enough to open up their life and share, share their stories, uh, that, that's an invitation for you to, to recognize that they're part of the journey too. That they're walking this path too. And, uh, and so as we, as we chase after Jesus, as we follow Jesus, um, we're being invited into that, into this journey. So regardless of how much time you have spent in the Bible, my prayer is that by the end of these few months, uh, that you're going to be far more interested and prepared uh, to, to read the Bible, that you, you can actually have this larger framework, this, this bigger story, and maybe help put the smaller pieces into place. 
So let's uh, address some of the specifics in regard to this book uh, that we call the Bible. First, one book, one author. Um, in, in, in this passage in Luke 24, um, you, you see Jesus interacting with a couple of his followers. And, uh, and he interacts with them, and he actually interacts with the entire Bible that was uh, available at that time, the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. And, and we'll bump, bump into Jesus' uh, engagement there uh, a couple times over, over the next few minutes. But if you were to say, what is this book? What is this Bible? Well, uh, over nearly 2,000 years, uh, there's 66 books in the Bible. Uh, there's around 40 authors. There's two main sections. The first section has 39 books, and it's called the Old Testament. And the second section has 27 books, and it's called the New Testament. That's uh, written in two, primarily in two languages. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, mostly, and the New Testament is written in Greek, mostly. Uh, there's some Aramaic uh, mixed in there. Uh, includes a whole bunch of different types and genres of literature. There's, there's history, there's uh, poetry, there's prophecy, there's letters. There's even a genre of, of, of literature called apocalyptic, uh, which uh, often is, is hard for us because we don't have a lot of that literature in, in our society. But that's the parts of like a, a few parts of the book of Daniel, or maybe you've heard of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. That's apocalyptic literature. It's symbolic. It's like a symbolic form of writing that's, that's aimed to encourage us as we face uh, opposition and just try to navigate the world. And so it's mix, it, a lot of mix, a lot of different things going on. And what, what the Bible's doing in a poem and what the Bible's doing in historical narrative, it, it's, it's, it's a little different. And so the Bible can be confusing. You often see the Bible used as a kind of a grab bag of quotes or like a, you know, a fortune from a fortune cookie. Uh, you know, like the, the verses that make it onto the coffee cup or make it onto the bumper sticker. You know, there's these phrases or these ideas, and many of them are, I mean, they're, they're beautiful as standalones. They are powerful communications from God as standalone sentences or standalone phrases. But the Bible can often be used as this grab bag of quotes but it's far more like a novel than it is a grab bag of, of quotes. You know, if you pull one line out of a novel, it, it could be helpful, but you really don't know what it means unless you've read what comes before it and what comes after it. Uh, and any line from any movie or any line from any book it pulled out of context, pulled out all by itself, uh, it's, it's only going to give you part of the picture. So fundamentally, the Bible is just one book, and fundamentally, it's one book, and it's written by one author. Uh, the scriptures themselves tell us that God is the author of the Bible. And one of the things that, that I take from that that is such a huge encouragement to me is that the Bible tells me that God has spoken. It's, 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 a, uh, it's one of the powerful ideas in my life to remind myself that God's an initiator, that, that God is the one who likes to start things. That God created, not because he, was, he had to, but because he wanted to. He, he initiated. We, we have the Bible, not because we asked him, but because he initiated. He spoke. This, 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 this activity of God, this initiation of God. And when you hold the Bible in your hands, the Bible is telling you these words are God's words. God has initiated. God has spoken. God wants to communicate with you. Now, humans were involved in writing it. Uh, they, there's, uh, like I said a minute ago, there's a, in the ballpark of 40 authors that were uh, part of writing, writing these various little books. 
Um, but what they wrote was influenced by the Spirit of God. And in 2 Peter, we find out that the Spirit of God was moving them, was, was at work in them. And there's this beautiful thing that happens where if you're a Hebrew scholar or you're a Greek scholar, uh, you, you can look at various, of, uh, various books and you can see a writing style. So one of, the, uh, one of the authors in the New Testament that wrote several books, his name's Paul, and Paul wrote several books and, and good Greek scholars can see Paul's style in, in, the, in the books that he wrote, whether it's Romans or Galatians or 1 Corinthians. And they can find John Style, who wrote the Gospel of John and then wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, wrote Revelation. And they can can see John Style. They can see Peter Style. So there's there's a human author that's involved, and their style even comes through. And yet, what we're told is the Spirit of God was moving in them so that what they wrote down was exactly what God wanted them to write down. Through their personality, in their context, in their moment, but exactly what God wanted them to write. So what you can take from that is that this is not man's book about God. This is God's book about man. This is not God answering all of our questions. This is God answering his questions, the questions that he says we most need. And that's a pretty powerful, maybe reversal of the way that you potentially have approached the Bible. This, this is God's book to us. This is God answering the questions that he, has real, that he has identified as the most important questions to answer. I mean, have you ever held the Bible in your hands and said, he could have included anything in here. Why this stuff? Why these 66 books? Why, why these 1,200 chapters? Why this content? Why the repetition? You know, there's a lot of repetition in the Bible. And some of the repetition makes you scratch your head and you're like, why are we getting that a second time? Like, I've got real questions. Like, who should I marry? What, what job should I, like, you know, God, how come you couldn't address those things? And he's like giving us a genealogy again. You know, a list of, of people who had kids. It's like, why did you, you waste space on that? Why did you do that? And so there's, there's legitimate questions about that. But if you're able to, to posture yourself, to remind yourself that, this is, that the author here is the God of heaven, and he in his wisdom said, this is what my people most need. It gives you a, 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 an attitude as you open that Bible to, to receive from it and to say, maybe I don't know what I most need. Maybe, maybe I actually need to sit and learn from my heavenly father. Why all this stuff in there? Because whether we know it or not, whether we believe it or not, It's the content we most need. So confidence that God is the author should ignite your desire to read it. Um, You know, one of the the things that's happened, uh, and it's it's happened for a long time through various means, it's happened in hyperspeed over the last two decades, I would say, uh, but just the undermining of the content of the Bible, just the the undermining of public confidence, uh, of, of general confidence that this is actually true, that this Bible is actually inspired, and you, you might have a few arguments running through your mind right now as to why you think that this Bible maybe shouldn't be trusted. There's a lot of commentary. There's a lot of comments and work that's been done to undermine the Bible. And I understand why those questions would be asked. I understand if you have some of those tensions. But, but could I invite you to do this? Would you be willing to work at it a little bit? Would you be willing to maybe not just take the, the pop uh, criticism 
uh, the pop explanation to how we got the Bible or whether or not the Bible's true, whether or not God's the author, would you maybe not just assume that those things are true and, and, and do a little work? Maybe, maybe investigate how it is that we got the Bible? There are some beautiful resources to help you uh, to, in, in, in that journey. And so, yes, our culture offers some thoughts on the Bible. In, it was invented by a group of people in 325 AD. I mean, you, you, you've heard some of these things, the corruption, the translation, blah, blah, blah. Like, listen, there, there, is a, there is a whole second argument. There's a, there's a whole set of content that actually, I think, uh, answers those challenges. And so don't, don't, don't just assume that what you've heard is, is correct. Investigate it. Take a look. I don't think the Bible's afraid of you, of you investigating it. There's so much we could say here. Let, let me share three, three quick thoughts, though, in regard to this one, one book, one author. If we really understand that what we hold in our hands is what the eternal God chose to write, just 66 books for all of human history, then we would devour it. We'd want it. You know, we, we overestimate what we can do in a day, but we so underestimate what we could do in a year. If you were to just say a little bit of scripture to a little bit of life, just a little bite a day, you would be shocked how far you could get through the Bible. You'd be shocked how much of this you could digest and how much of it it could become part of your life. And if you actually believe that the God of heaven authored it and that he chose the content for your soul, for your good, man, it seems like that would make all the sense in the world that we'd want to be in it and to to read it. Number two, uh, we'd see that if he wrote it, that, it, that, that God wrote it, that's, that's, that's the idea of it being inspired, that it's from God, then it makes a lot more sense that it's infallible, that there aren't errors there. Does that make sense? If, if God's the author, then the error question kind of becomes secondary. It's a little like this. If Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, then are the miracles that hard to believe? Is it that hard to believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of... It's not that hard to believe if you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, if that's your starting point. And if you believe that the Bible has been inspired by God, breathed out by God, it's it's his work, then the idea of trusting it becomes so much more logical. Number three... Uh, if, if, you know, we would see that we cannot just say, I want Jesus, but not the Bible. Maybe, maybe you've heard that before. Someone says, man, you know what? Like, I love Jesus, but I, that Bible, like, I can't, I can't hack the Bible. Have you ever heard that? I mean, have you ever said that? that? That sentiment would be an understandable sentiment. I mean, you know, Jesus still gets really good PR, People, st- people still really, really like Jesus, and then they take these parts of the Bible and they want to say, well, Jesus, that, you know, that's not Jesus. Well, well he- here- here's the problem. How does Jesus interact with the Scriptures? The- the- J- Jesus doesn't run from the Scriptures at all. Jesus is actually constantly pointing to the Scriptures. He- here in Luke 24, when he is walking with two of his followers... Jesus has risen again, he's, he's alive, he's conquered sin and death and Satan and all of our enemies, and he shows up on this road and he's walking with a couple of his followers, and, and they don't recognize Jesus, and, and, and they're walking with him, and he says to them, like, you're, you're missing it, you're missing it. And then what he does in verse 27, it says, uh, it says that he's beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
That's shorthand for the Old Testament. That's shorthand for the Hebrew Bible. That Jesus took the Hebrew Bible and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so what Jesus did was he looked, he looked at the scriptures and he said, look, I'm going to show you. And he didn't, he didn't run from the Old Testament. He didn't hide from the Old Testament. He says the, whole, the Old Testament is actually like a signpost. It's pointing forward. In John 5, one of my other favorite passages, he says that scripture bears witness about him. That it's, it, it, it's revealing him. It's showing him. Jesus is always saying things like, it is written, or I must do this so that the, so that the scriptures are fulfilled. You know, when he's 12 years old, he's doing things like that. When he's starving in the desert, he's saying things like that. When he gets arrested, he's saying things like that. When he's hanging on the cross, he's saying things like that. Jesus is like constantly quoting scripture, constantly. Jesus does not run from the Old Testament. He says they are concerning him. They are a witness to him. They, they are a testimony. Jesus is saying the Old Testament is super personal to him. You know, when you share a testimony like Bob did today, that, that's sharing an intensely personal thing. And Jesus says that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a testimony. It's a witness about me. So what does that mean? It means that you cannot, with any intellectual honesty, have Jesus without the Bible. You, you can't separate those two things. Wrestle with it? Sure. There's tons to wrestle with. I can relate to the wrestle. But, but don't let yourself separate those two ideas, those two realities of Jesus, the living word, and the Bible, the written word. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. He's saying the Bible is truth, the whole truth, like nothing but the truth. This is, this is what he wants us uh, to, to explore. So one author wrote, wrote a book. Oh, there's, a, there's an author who wrote a book titled Eat This Book. And Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book. And he's playing off of a passage in Ezekiel 3, and it's like, that's about right. Like, eat this book. That's, that's exactly what we should do. We, uh, there's a point in time where Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of the Lord. Like, the, the, the bread of life, the bread of the word. So we should eat it. Secondly, so it's one book, one author, one subject. Um, Jesus looked at, at all the writings and the stories of the Old Testament, and he showed that they all pointed to him. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament scriptures here in Luke 24, but the New Testament authors do the same thing. They, in in 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that all scripture is given for our good. It's for us to understand who God is and what he's doing in the world. And man, I don't want you to miss that the disciples' hearts burned within them. Did you see that in verse 32? After Jesus, in verse 27, after he explains himself, uses the Old Testament to explain all these things concerning himself, they go down the road a little further, and then Jesus doesn't stay with them. And he leaves, he serves them communion, and he leaves, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize him. He vanishes from their sight, and they're like, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn when he was with us? And it's like, they didn't get necessarily new information. What they had was a risen Christ talking to them. What they had was, was this Jesus who took all the content that they knew about and like brought it to life and it lit their hearts on fire. And this is the ultimate outcome of being in the scripture is that your heart is ablaze, that it's, 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 it's literally set on, on fire. 
But I want to address uh, one final thing in the, in the last few minutes that we have. Um, there's this, you know, this beautiful passage here in Luke 24 where Jesus says, you know, where Luke says he started with Moses and the prophets and he went to the Old Testament and he used all those scriptures to explain himself. Sometimes we were like, man, I love Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Love the Gospels. The rest of it, eh, I don't know. Jesus is like using Isaiah. You know, Jesus is using Jonah. Jesus is using these Old Testament texts to reveal the truth about himself. But there's another passage uh, in, 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 the, in the Gospels where Jesus uh, interacts in a similar way. And it's, it's John chapter 5. And if you have your Bible open, you're free to, to turn over there if you want to. But in John chapter 5, Jesus is in a debate with the, with the Pharisees. And in verse 45 of John 5, as, he's, as this, this conversation is unfolding and there's quite a bit of tension between him and the Pharisees, he actually says that on the last day, it's not actually going to be Jesus that accuses. In, in this text, what he says is it's going to be Moses. And what he means is the stuff that Moses wrote. Moses and the rest of the scriptures that are going to accuse us. And what's happening in John chapter 5 is Jesus is talking with a whole bunch of religious leaders. And he's realizing that they know the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. They know what the Bible says, but it's never dropped from their heads to their hearts. Their hearts are not set ablaze. Their hearts are not burning. Tons and tons of head knowledge, but it hasn't gone anywhere. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you know what's going to happen on the last day? On the last day, the scriptures are going to stand up, Moses and the scriptures, and they're going to accuse you for not hearing and not seeing Jesus. That's what he says. He says that the scriptures are going to stand up and be like, it was right here. It was right here on the pages that it all pointed to Jesus. And remember, he's not talking to people who have a skeptical view of the Bible. He's talking to Jewish religious leaders. This is the book that like, they memorized huge chunks of this. They knew it inside and out. They studied their Bible like crazy. And Jesus says on the last day, those very scriptures are going to stand up and, and, and judge them. It's going to accuse them of missing Jesus. I mean, this, this is actually pretty frightening. You see, some of us struggle with the idea that this book is actually written by God. You know, some of us find it really hard to believe that a book that was written over the course of 2,000 years, a couple different continents, a couple different languages, 40 different writers, we find it hard to believe that that could be uh, infallible, that that could be true, that the real Jesus is actually inseparable from that. It Maybe may you find a lot more comfort in separating Jesus from that. And yet the message of the Bible is saying you, you, you can't do that. I can understand why that's hard. I can understand why that's, that's attention for, for you. But see, there's another group of people. And that group of people sit back and, and they look at things and they say, man, I'm, I'm so glad I have the right view. I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm an orthodox person. I'm so glad that I believe in the inspiration of the Bible. I'm so glad that I believe that every word is, is given by God and every word is true. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that that's, that's my situation. I, sit back, I, I believe all that. Listen, if you're one of those people sitting back, listen, I want you to sit up. I want, you to, I want you to sit up and I want you to listen to what Jesus does in John chapter 5. Because as Jesus is talking with this group of people that he realizes they know the scriptures backwards and forwards, but they're blind and they're deaf to it. This is what Jesus says in, 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 verse, in John chapter 5, verse 39. He's looking at these religious leaders and what, whatever you think of the Jewish religious leaders now, when Jesus was alive, they were the most respected people in all of society. 
hands down, by a mile. And Jesus looks at them, and this is what he says. You you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. So you're studying the Bible like crazy because you think the Bible saves you. But you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me that you might have real life. Jesus is saying it is possible to believe in the inspiration of the Bible, that God wrote this. It's possible to believe that it's true, that it's infallible, and to be as deaf as ever to what God is saying. So deaf as if you didn't believe any of that other stuff. You've got all the content. You believe God gave it to you. You believe that it's true. You believe all that stuff, but you could be as deaf and blind as anyone That's what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. See, the people Jesus is telling that they are missing it are people with the right view of Scripture. They see it as powerful. They see it as inspired. He's not not critiquing their view. He's critiquing their use. So you might be here today, and before you ever got to church today, you might be like, the Bible is written by God, and the Bible is true. Good, good. Those are things that that, that the Bible would say is true. That's good. But there's a next step. How do you use that book? How do you use Scripture? If you have the right view of Scripture, but not the right use of Scripture, you actually don't have the Scriptures the way Jesus intended you to have them. Jesus says that if you read the Bible this way, then you're missing it in at least two ways. And I'll go through these quick. First, you're missing the purpose. You know, some people read the Bible, and they read the Bible in order to know what to do, in order to to figure out how to be good now. Maybe sometimes you hear somebody like, well, they they got religion, or they they turned over a new leaf. And it's like, they go to the Bible for a a checklist. What is a good life? What, what What am I supposed to do to keep God happy? Well, this is a little part of my own story. A little part of my own story is growing up, and uh, maybe it's the fault of some people, but I think it was more my fault that I read the Bible to see what I was supposed to do. I read the Bible to pat myself on the back, all the things that I was doing right. And then I also read the Bible to know which things that I needed to hide because those things weren't right. And so I tried to either ignore them or hide them. I didn't want anybody to know about that. And see, all of those things are tells. All of those things are are revealing that the reason I was coming to the Bible was to figure out what I was supposed to do. Can you relate to that? People do not believe the Bible for all kinds of reasons. I get that. But one of the major hurdles that a lot of people face is when they watch how other uh, Christians use the Bible. It's, It's super frustrating because a lot of Christians use the Bible to feel good about themselves to feel superior, to put other people down, to, to, you know, part of my own life. Man, I, I love talking about the sins I didn't struggle with. Love that. Oh, so great. So great to talk about the sins I didn't struggle with. But the sins I struggle with, ugh, like, mate, let's, let's not talk about those too often. Let's, let's keep those on the down low. And, and, and yet the, the world sees that. Your friends and your neighbors, your coworkers, like they, they see that. People who use the Bible to feel good about themselves, man, if you read the Bible like that, then you often cannot separate the central from the rest of it. And what you end up doing is fighting about all of it. 
You fight about every little detail, every little idea. And maybe, maybe if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up in an environment like that, where every single thing that was said was a, was a hill to die on. And so just easy ones. The timeline at the beginning of the Bible. Man, if people don't agree with us, they're heretics. The timeline at the end of the Bible. If people don't agree with us, they're heretics. And what you end up with is 200 churches in some little town. They're all standing on their little, you know, on all their views, convinced that everybody else is wrong. You can buy into your own views of Scripture more than the Scriptures themselves. And you often hit people over the head with your opinions because you've got to be right. You study the Bible for facts, for info, but not for what it's actually teaching. So the purpose. But the other way you can miss it is you actually just miss the point. You know, in John chapter 5, Jesus has, uh, he, he's talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a, a forerunner to Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. And he was a forerunner. He was supposed to run around and say, hey, the Messiah is behind me. The Messiah is on the way. And in John chapter 5, what Jesus says is that John was, was, was supposed to tell you about me. But you guys kept saying, hey, John, are you the one? John, are you the one? Hey, John, are you the one? And John kept saying, I'm not the one. I'm pointing to the one. I'm not your hope, but I'm pointing to the one who offers real hope. In verse 39, right after talking about John the Baptist, and Jesus says, it is the scriptures that testify about me. You know what he's saying? He's saying John the Baptist came, and when John the Baptist talked, he wasn't talking about himself. He was pointing to something beyond him. He was pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus says, you know what the scriptures are doing? The scriptures, in a sense, aren't talking about themselves. They're pointing beyond themselves, just like John was, to something else, to to me, to the hope of the world, to the news of a Messiah who is here to rescue. Jesus is saying when you read the Bible, no matter what book, chapter, or verse, when you read it, And if you don't see that every story, every law, every rule, every text, every passage is pointing beyond itself, every one of those is like a signpost, just like John was for Jesus, so are the scriptures. If you don't see that, then you're going to be lost in trying to read the Bible. See, if you read the Bible and see it as examples of how to live, then you're either going to become smug because you're doing it, or you're going to become crushed. Because you're not doing it and other people are. If if you're coming to the Bible as a whole bunch of lists for what to do and what not to do, it's going to either create self-arrogance or it's going to create self-hatred. But that's not what the Bible's offering you. Right now, our sojourn kids, uh, some of them are learning about the story of David, David and Goliath. And if if we could talk to David... David would say exactly what John the Baptist, the exact same thing that John the Baptist would say. It wasn't primarily about me. It wasn't primarily about me beating some giant named Goliath. I'm pointing forward to a better David. A David that couldn't just kill, that didn't just kill a physical giant, but a David who killed the only giant who could actually ever hurt you. See, David is a, is a figure of Christ. He's an example of what Christ would come to do. What David did was saved Israel for one day. What Jesus did is he came to save you forever. 
And all the stories of the Bible are doing this. They're pointing us forward. The message of the story of David and Goliath is is not go be like David. It's actually, do you see how what David did points us forward to a better David, to a true and better David who actually conquered the ultimate giant? If you look at the Bible as an end, not as a means to bring you to your Savior, then you're going to be lost when you read it. It doesn't matter if you believe the Bible's inspired or inerrant at that point. You're, you're, you're missing the point of the Scriptures. So you can read the Bible without the Gospel, you know. Uh, you, can read the, you can read the Gospels without the Gospel. Uh, there's plenty of times in Jesus' life where he lives, he's living his life, and people take from that what to do. Uh, I know we're running tight on time here, but Luke, Luke 4 is, is my favorite example of this. Jesus is in the desert, and he's getting tempted by Satan, and Jesus stands up to temptation, and he says no to temptation. He slams the door in Satan's face. And you could read that story and be like, okay, what did I take from this story? I take the five steps I need to take to defeat temptation. And you, you could do that. And those would probably be helpful steps to know in your life. But you know what, how that story ends? Jesus is in the desert, tempted by Satan. Jesus says no every time. He passes the test with flying colors. And you know what it says next? That Satan departed until an opportune time. So Jesus followed all the steps, nailed it, 4.0, A plus grade. And what's Satan's response? See you in a bit. I'll be back. In other words, we don't need to just know how to say no to temptation. We need someone who can crush the tempter. And this is, this is the point of the scriptures, is that Jesus is the ultimate answer that we have been longing for our whole life. This, is, this whole book is one story written by one author. God's rescue of people through Jesus is the story of the Bible. Woven together with all of these other stories, all of these signposts that point us forward uh, to the beauty and work of Jesus. The whole Bible is one true story, one book, one author. It's all pointing to Christ. And as we come to the table and we break bread and we drink the cup, this is an invitation for you. Uh, Why do we do communion every single Sunday? (laughs) One of the main reasons is because we actually believe this. We believe it is all pointing forward to the person and work of Jesus. It's all reminding us that if he didn't do what he did, then this is all worthless. And so as you come and break the bread and drink the cup, we invite you to remember Jesus and his work on your behalf. Uh, we, please come down the center aisle and then head back to your seats on the outside aisle. If our service will please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this text uh, in, John, in Luke 24 and in John 5 for these, these pivotal moments where Jesus reveals how he thinks of the Old Testament, how he thinks of the reality of the scriptures, these, these scriptures that are revealing him, that are testifying about him, that are witnessing to him that point us to him. God, would you give us eyes to see the Bible that way? God, would you give us eyes to see our own lives that way, the way that you've been at work day in and day out, year after year, so faithful and so good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.